Today's Old Testament reading comes from Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 through 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of, the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for, I am, in, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chad. Uh, this is our last sermon in this series. Can I look at the graphic one more time? Uh, misquoted, explaining the Bible's most uh, misused verses. Now, we chose seven sermons. There, there probably I could probably do an, a, another seven more, but we are coming into November here, so we're going to do our vision and provision sermons that we do every year. As we sort of come into the new year, we sort of refresh every year our vision, and then we talk about how to have some provision for that vision. We'll talk a little bit about sort of our budget and what that's going to look like coming into 2022. Then there's Thanksgiving, and we have Advent, and so we'll be uh, doing some Advent sermons. But um, as we come into the new year, um, there are all sorts of ideas about another sermon series, which you all don't have to think a whole lot about. I really doubt that any one of you stay up uh, late at night worrying about what the next sermon series is going to be, nor should you have to. Uh, but I do, and uh, one of the things that has moved us from sermon series to sermon series, even though we typically do books of the Bible, and we love that, we believe in that, but some of these series, we did a series on holiness and prayer, and sometimes the topics and issues that come up in one series create the next series. So um, uh, be prayerful. Um, I'm just asking you to join us, like in prayer, um, and uh, as we contemplate and meditate what the next series is going to be. So today our sermon is, um, All Things Work for Good, last sermon in this series. And, you know, if there's one thing that humans have had to fight against as long as we've been walking the earth and had sort of the cognitive ability to reason is the feeling that life is random and meaningless. Have you ever felt that way? Has, has there ever been a time in your life where, maybe it's not what you believe right now, but have you ever felt that way, that something happened in your life that made you feel like, is life random and meaningless? I know I have at times in my life. At least a question, sort of the nagging question popped up. I may have vanquished the question, but there have been times where I've wrestled with it, and I su suspect that all of us at some time or another have sort of wrestled with that question, the feeling at times that life is random and meaningless. And it doesn't matter 
what background you come from, whether you're like a Muslim or a Buddhist or a Jew or a Hindu or uh, New Age uh, or an atheist, you want to believe that things are happening for a reason. So I think everyone struggles with this feeling. It doesn't matter who you are. And I think some of the earliest conceptions of religion in ancient human beings is an effort to fight against or derive meaning from our lives. And rightly so, but when we see sort of cave drawings, you know, from ancient early man, right? There's some semblance of transcendence there, that there is something beyond us than just our day-to-day -day affairs, waking up, eating, working, coming home, making ends meet, surviving. And um, it really stems, I think, from our desire to retrieve meaning from life's most unexplainable events or tragedies, right? We all want to believe that, that everything is happening for a reason. We do not want to believe that when things go awry that they're just random. Um, there is a joke, you know, why, what did the Calvinist say when he fell down a flight of stairs? I'm glad I got that over with. <laughs> because we believe that, well, God is sovereign over everything. He has decreed in eternity past all events, right? Um, but there does seem to be a pretty good biblical basis that everything is happening for a reason. Chad read the passage from Genesis 50. And if you know that story, it is one of the most powerful stories in all of Scripture. And Joseph's brothers repent for the ways they had betrayed him some 20 years earlier. We're not exactly sure of the timeline, but it seemed like it had been about 20 years from the time that Joseph's, bro Joseph's brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery and the time that God had elevated him out of prison into a position of power in Pharaoh's Egypt. And the, the power dynamic has flipped. Joseph is the one with the power. And when they repent for the ways they betrayed him and sold him into slavery... Joseph says this very memorable statement that many of you are familiar with. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'm assuming most of us have heard that statement before. And we look at a passage like that and we say, voila, that's how we make sense of bad things. What the devil means for evil, God always means for good. We reason, even though that's not what it really says. Have you ever said that? What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Have you ever said that? No? Well, some, some of you have, I think. What the devil means for evil, God means for good. Well, maybe it's just my background, but I come from a background where we say that kind of stuff all the time. What the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. Um, what's interesting is that's not what Joseph said. He didn't say what the devil means for evil, God means for good. He said to his brothers, what you, my brothers, meant for evil, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good to save many people because Joseph was in a position of power. There was a famine in Canaan, and his family came down, and he was able to feed them. What's, what's important, don't, 
Don't, don't leave me now. I'm trying to hope I'm not losing anyone, okay? What's important about that is Joseph is deriving meaning from the last 20 years of his life, which may have seemed random and meaningless. So, again, just to refresh the story, he sat in an Egyptian prison for maybe upwards of 20 years, at least 17 years, Joseph was in prison. And he's deriving meaning when he says, what you meant for evil, God, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good, that is Joseph's way of interpreting the whole dynamic of the past 20 years of his life and how he went from being in his, with his family, with his father and his coat of many colors to being in prison and now being exalted to the right hand of Pharaoh. And he interprets it all by saying, God meant it for good. It's, it was his way of deriving meaning. Remember, I started talking about life at times feeling random and meaningless. But I don't know that we should absolutize the statement what the devil means for evil, God means for good, because number one, that's not what it says in scripture. And we make the mistake of sort of absolutizing a statement like that and doing exactly what this series is trying to correct us from, which is taking man-made concepts and sort of making them God-given truth. Does that make sense? Now that's what we're trying not to do. We're, that's what this series is all about. We're trying to problematize some of these man-made concepts which seem to be consistent with biblical ideas and sort of teasing out the nuance and the context of what the Bible really says. Another verse we've sort of colloquialized, if I can put it that way, is Romans 8, 28. And this is our passage for this morning. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And this verse precisely gets distilled into, you guessed it, everything happens for a reason. You've said it, I've said it, we've all said it. In 2019, Inc. Magazine published an article titled, Let Go of the Myth that Everything Happens for a Reason. The author, Thomas Kalopoulos, argues that we've colloquialized the notion of everything happening for a reason to the point of absurdity. Reason, he argues, is different than meaning. But meaning deals with the future and reason deals with the past or causation. So what we see in scripture is not Joseph or the Apostle Paul trying to find out the reason behind events, but rather looking towards interpreting events by looking towards the meaning. Here's what, I don't know why this happened, but here's why God, here's what God is doing right now, at least as a result of this event. I hope that makes sense. When I was 15 years old, I remember sleeping in my bed at 6 a.m. and the front, the door to my bedroom bursting open and five LAPD officers pointing uh, guns at my head while I was asleep. They were accompanied by my probation officer. Yeah. Uh, some of you don't know this about my upbringing and my past, but I spent uh, my teenage years pretty troubled in and out of correctional facilities. I had violated my probation 
There were a lot of different terms of probation. I had gotten arrested some years earlier, and I was charged with a felony. It was dropped. That's a whole other story. But I was on probation, and on probation, you're supposed to get good grades and stay out of trouble. And I had all these violations of probation. And I was hauled off to jail. I didn't even have the chance to brush my teeth. It was 6 in the morning. You know, I'm 15 years old, and I've got, you know, five grown men in uniforms with guns pointed at me and my probation officer hauling me off to jail. And um, I was handcuffed and put in East Lake Juvenile Hall in East L.A., a very old sort of correctional facility. And as the weeks dragged into months, a friend of mine reached out to me and said that it was my own mother who turned me in. And I didn't want to believe it, and I didn't believe it. I just kind of dismissed it. I thought, that's ridiculous. I know my mom. She loves me. She'd never do that to me. And um, after being locked up for about a month and a half, I had a court date to determine whether or not I would stay in jail for another year. And they would transfer me to sort of a juvenile prison facility with a lot of really rough characters. And so I remember October 2nd, 1989, being in an orange jumpsuit and my hands shackled to my waist and my ankles shackled together and sort of waddling into the courtroom. And um, when I walked in, I saw an ex-girlfriend who had showed up with my mother sitting there. And by God's grace and providence, the judge spared me a longer sentence and the pretty girl in the courtroom I went home with later became my wife. And that's Maribel. And um, I remember years later thinking and asking my mom, I thought about it and I said, Mom, did you, were you the one that turned me in? And uh, she confessed it was her. She had turned me in. She had called my probation officer and said, I can't handle him anymore. He's out of control. You need to do something. And he showed up and hauled me off to jail. But by then, the reason didn't matter. Because I had found meaning in it all. The reason I was hauled off to jail, the fact that my mom called by that time, I didn't even care. I didn't care that she was the one that turned me in. I didn't care that she sort of dimed me out. Um, because I was with my wife and I saw the meaning behind it all. The reason was irrelevant, because reason deals with causation. But meaning is about moving forward into the future. And Joseph in Genesis 50 and Paul in Romans 8 are not dealing with the reason behind things, but the meaning. Let me look at this passage of scripture again for us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The meaning Paul derives is conformity into the image and likeness of Jesus. That all things happening in our life, everything that has happened to you, the good, the bad, the things that are inexplicable, the things that you cannot figure out the cause or the reason, Paul says is all for the, the purpose, right? This is the meaning of it all. You are being conformed into the likeness and image of Jesus. 
Why did the cancer come back? Why did your first marriage end in divorce? Why did you get fired? Why did you miscarry that child? Why did that relative abuse you? Why did your business fail? Who knows? We're not told the reason. But we are told that there is meaning in it all for us. And this is what scripture is concerned with. Our ability to look to a loving God who uses all events in life for the good by making you like Jesus. And this is what's important for us. This is what's instructive for you to recognize that everything happening, even the things where, that fall apart, the bad things, the things you cannot understand what caused them or why they happened, God is conforming you into the likeness and image of Jesus. He is making you more like Jesus. And that has eternal consequences, as we're going to see in just a moment. Now, in that article, Kilopoulos is trying to make a point about success. It's not a religious article. He's not trying to teach us about how to understand God better. But he says, the responsibility for success is on you. So is the responsibility for creating meaning out of life's disappointments. So from a secular point of view, you have to create meaning, right? When you don't have this sort of object objective reality of an all-powerful, transcendent, sovereign God controlling all things, you are left to sort of create meaning out of every event. But as Christians, we don't have to do that. We don't have to try to find meaning through events. God has already told us what the meaning is. Conformity to the image of the Son of God. Conformity into the likeness and image of Jesus. We are being made more like Jesus. So here's an application point, okay? God ultimately uses all things, good or bad, to make us more like Jesus. God ultimately uses all things to make us more like Jesus. That's the good that God is working. Now, when we read that passage, that for those that love God, all things work for good, we may interpret it thinking, oh, I'm going to have a good, happy life. That's what it means. It means that whatever is sad in my life, God is going to make happy, and I'm going to live a good life, that the bad things are going to turn good, and the sadness is going to become joy. And there is some truth to that when we're walking with a loving Savior who heals us and keeps us and fills our hearts with a truly abundant life. But this isn't talking about like living the good life. It's talking about what's even more important than that. You know, happiness is momentarily, it's fleeting, right? This, this idea of am I happy, am I not happy? There's all these definitions of what it means to be happy. And what Paul is trying to say is something, a greater good, the greatest good is happening, which is Christ. Christ in us is being shaped and formed, and we are being modeled and shaped in the image of God's own Son. So what is conformity to Christ? It's closer fellowship with God. Every event, even though sometimes events feel like they can alienate us from God, 
if they're confusing. Has that ever happened? Have you had something happen where it was so heartbreaking, it was so dissonant with how you understand God's love that it, initially it made you feel distant from God? But even the stress on that relationship in time works to strengthen your faith. It may seem hard to discern, but our doubts and momentary afflictions, confusion, and sometimes even anger with God, when the Holy Spirit is working in us and it works in all believers, true believers, ultimately the result is that our faith is strengthened. So it's closer fellowship with God. What else is conformity to Christ? Bearing good fruit for the kingdom. And it's the eternal joy we'll have in our final glorification. Look at what Jerry Bridges says. That which should distinguish the suffering of believers from unbelievers is the confidence that our suffering is under the control of an all-powerful and all-loving God. Our suffering has meaning and purpose in God's eternal plan, and he brings or allows to come into our lives only that which is for his glory and our good. What's instructive for us is the good that God is working is in believers. Can unbelievers say that all things are working for good? I wouldn't want to tell them that's true. Because I know what the promises of God are for his people. God is working all things for good to you and I who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the confidence we have as Christians, as followers of Christ, as believers, that nothing is wasted. I don't know that an unbeliever can make that claim. That may not be you know, kind or politically correct or something, but that's what the word says. That the confidence that we have that all things are working for good is because we belong to God, because he loves us and because we love him. It is relational, it is covenantal. We are the called, the elect, according to God's purpose. And there's a privilege in that, isn't there? Knowing that God is redeeming the events of the lives of his people. That no event, no matter how catastrophic or how painful or how ruinous it seems on the surface, is wasted. God is using it to make us more like Jesus, and that will echo in eternity. God uses it all to conform us into Christ's likeness. I thought of Joseph when I was working on this sermon, and that's why we use that passage, because Joseph feels like a case study. Joseph's satisfaction with his life years later, as his brothers wept before him in contrition, stemmed from the fact that God had taken it all and used it that he saw that all of those years were not wasted. Now, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you are not in a place where you can see the broken areas of your life redeemed yet. Joseph saw all that pain, all that misery, all that suffering, and he saw that God used it. Now, 
Could God have delivered Jacob's descendants from the famine that hit Canaan during those years without allowing or having Joseph go through, you know, almost 20 years of imprisonment? Couldn't God have done something else? Couldn't they just have, as a happy family one day, marched down into Egypt and bought some grain? I think Joseph may have thought that at one point. Maybe. He's a human being. Maybe he thought to himself, did this have to happen? But at some point, he had to recognize that God sovereignly allowed it to happen for his purposes to save all those people. And his satisfaction was that God had worked all of those things for good. So the question, let's revisit it for a moment. Do all things happen for a reason? I, I'm mentioning that because that's how we've colloquialized Roman 8, Romans 8.28, right? All things work for good. You know, all things happen for a reason. That's, sort of the, the sort of, that's how it gets sort of after the meat grinder. That's how it is colloquialized, right? It's just what we say. Do all things happen for a reason? Is that, is that really true? Well, the simple answer is, for Christians, yes. But we may never know the acute reason or cause behind any event. It's all speculation, right? Oh, this happened so that this could happen. Hmm, maybe. But God, regardless if that's true or not, God is using everything in your life for his glory and our good. Why do Christians suffer from depression? It could be chemical, it could be a childhood trauma, it could be a whole host of potential reasons, but as painful as it might be, God in it and through it is conforming us or that person to the likeness and image of his son, Jesus, who also suffered, who also endured emotional pain and ultimately physical death but was raised from the dead and glorified. And look at how Paul ends his thought here in Romans 8. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is in the process of glorifying us with him and together with Christ, such to the point that we will have ultimate glorification in eternity with our risen Savior. And that makes everything we endure, everything we experience, every hardship, every trial, every suffering worth it. Even though right now it may feel really hard. And you may feel, well, Jordan, that's easy for you to say. But the end goal is glorification. The suffering Christ endured was ultimately turned around for glory when he was raised. And so wherever you are right now, whatever you're dealing with, however long you've been waiting for things to change, God is using it. He is using it. He is using it for his glory and our good. And that 
is all the reason we need. Let's pray. Father, help us, O oh God, in our wayward hearts, which sometimes are led astray when we're in our mind, in our head, trying to figure out our lives, trying to figure out the reason behind everything. Do we suffer because we caused it? Did we do something? Are you punishing us? Are you being mean? Those are the thoughts that come through our head at times. A sickness, an illness, a failed marriage. We look back on these catastrophic events in our lives and we try to discern what caused them. But help us instead, O oh God, to see the beauty in the meaning in it. That whatever the acute reason or cause, that you are using it, just like our brother Joseph, for good. You're using it for good. You're using it for your purposes, your divine eternal plan, and ultimately for our good and glorification. Help our hearts to rest in this truth and be confident, O oh God, that you, our sovereign, loving God, do not waste anything in our lives. We thank you by faith. Our confidence and trust is in you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.